What up, everybody? Welcome to episode six of the Comrades Classroom Podcast. This is the fourth episode of our four-part series on disability justice. On it, we get to sit down with two of our close comrades, Sam and Artie, as they discuss the everyday violences of ableism through their personal experiences. This is just the first of our guest interviews, so stay plugged in for more episodes coming soon. I promise we got some dope guests coming on. As always, please support our work by becoming a sustainer of our Patreon. It's the only way we can keep feeding people and keep pushing our survival programs forward. We need community support. We need collective care. We got us. Free the people. Free the land. So we're really excited to have y'all on uh, to talk about disability justice and your own experiences uh, within that. Um, and just grateful that y'all made the time um, to do it with us. Um, so our guests today are um, Artie and Sham, and we'll let them introduce themselves in a sec um, with our introduction question. So one of the first things we want to talk about, um, and one thing that kind of sounds like the goal of our, of our interviews is to talk about people's individual experiences and path um, towards political consciousness. Um, and either of you can, can talk first. Um, so the first question kind of just like, however brief, however long, can you tell us a bit about your experiences in life um, that led you towards kind of this path of political consciousness or kind of got you to where you are today um, and involved in, in the movement work that you're in today? Would you like to go first or would you like me to go first? <laughs> you can go first. Okay. Um, so my name is Artie, uh, spelled A-R-T-I. And um, yeah, I guess it's kind of hard to track exactly the path because I've sort of always like been a little politically conscious, at least of like my positionality coming from like you know, a low income background in like a rural area without very much like access to resources. Um, and always like, you know, seeing the <laughs> struggling my parents were going through. Um, and, but I guess like actually putting language to the sort of political understandings I've always had really, or like the underlying values that I've had. I guess really has come in the past um, year or two that I've been, ironically that I've been like in academia, which is like, <laughs> you know, one of the like enablers of colonial ableist institutions, like just absolutely horrible for ableism. Um, just being around other people who like, have political consciousness um, much more developed than mine. And also having like online communities that I had sought out from like being excluded and uh, whatnot because of my like identities and my disabilities um, when I was younger and growing up in a very, you know, small rural area. Um, so yeah, that's not very <laughs> linear way, but um, I guess it's uh, sort of like a vague introduction. Um, and yeah, just, you know, being a disabled person and a neurodivergent person, I, I wasn't, you know, like physically disabled when I was younger, um, but I was neurodivergent still. And, um, you know, just that sort of feeling of exclusion also like definitely led me to like seek other avenues of finding people who understood me and who could like relate to my situation and my um, experiences. Um, so, yeah. I really appreciate that. And that's, um, that's kind of what I found too. Um, like people's paths are always different, um, but a lot of times it's either um, like you lived in political consciousness because of your, your experiences and, or like had to find that. Um, so I know I really appreciate that perspective um, and we'll leave space for, for Sam. Uh, hi, Sam, uh, S-A-M, they, them, she. Um, yeah, and I guess, like, along the same lines, um, I was born with a congenital deformity, so I was born disabled, but, like, never had the language for it, so I was, like, constantly performing ableism in, like, 
a Latinx household who was very assimilated and like didn't know it and didn't want to acknowledge it. And like, um, it was difficult. It was, it was weird. Cause like nobody else felt the way I did growing up with two brothers. Like they just, this is just like, they didn't have to think about all of the intersectionalities of like their identities. Cause they, they didn't really have them. <laughs> um, but I did, uh, being like, disabled, neurodivergent, chronically ill, and the only one in my family that was like that. So, um, like, we were working class poor, basically, just constantly in debt. And, like, that that was always the turning point or, like, the noticeable thing that, like, parents think you don't know, but, like, you do know. And it kind of, like, it gives a better idea of like capitalism as a child because you're just like, damn, I don't really want all of these things. I want to be able to like eat and like as messed up as that is, that is like the road to political consciousness for a lot of us. So, yeah. No, I appreciate that. And um, in, in talking to you other times, um, you talk about how like your, your own experiences within um or with your disability and trying to find care and trying to um, navigate the, the medical industrial complex. Um, so I'm wondering if like, what about that? What about having to navigate that kind of led you to, um, I know like wanting to work alongside or at least work towards um, addressing some of the, the violence that does occur inside of uh, a lot of different medical spaces. Yeah, so like, that's rough, right? Because. <laughs> Um, being disabled and chronically ill, it was constantly about figuring out how to advocate for yourself to get people to, like, our physicians to actually listen to you, especially being um, always slightly overweight, even as a child, and then, like, Latinx and female. Um, and it it was really hard because I've had, um, I'm neurodivergent as well, like, I've had severe anxiety since I was, like, five, Um so trying to, trying to like balance mental illness with like also ableism and then like figuring out like, what do I want to do with my life? Cause like, that's a, like a choice you have to make pretty early on. Um, coming from like a working class family, like you don't, you don't get to like aspire to things. You just have to like do. Um, so like, it really made me want to be part of the medical community Um, if we'll just jump uh, real quick, or if you want to uh, jump into this this next question, um, and I know uh, again, like these experiences, right, are are uh, a lot, like really traumatic and can be um, can provoke a lot. So I want to give like space to to y'all um, to to allow that um, and allow for y'all to to have that space too, and step away if you need. Um, or if you want to jump in. Um, if you want to talk a little bit and share your own um, experiences um, navigating disability um, and maybe some of the challenges you faced um, and or um, just talking about what, what disability justice means to you um, in, in your own life. Um, yeah, uh, in terms of like personal experiences with disability um, in ableist world, I know like even like also coming from like a working class low income family um, and especially being in like a rural area. Like I think the, the closest hospital was like a half hour drive away. Um, and the closest like mental health clinic, I think was at least 40 minutes to an hour away. Um, and like, I definitely always knew there was like, you know, something different in my, in my brain, you know, being neurodivergent. Um, but I never really had like access to resources to sort of like even understand that. Um, and that's also part of like being in an ableist world is like not having access to even understand yourself as a disabled person, um, as a neurodivergent person. And um, I guess also one of the things that always really struck me um, is particularly related to not specifically me, but to my dad, because um, 
like he's always been like the main person doing a lot of the work in our in our family and helping to keep us together and like I've just like watched him over the years as he's like slowly like his body is just slowly breaking down because he he deals with all of the um same disabilities that I do basically um but he like (laughs) I'm lucky enough that like I've had him to help provide for me and because of that he's had to like lose so much of of his life and his like body just by like not being able to treat his actual disabilities and um yeah and then again for my own like personal experiences um yeah it's just been really difficult like I said like I'm still not officially diagnosed with any I have um a diagnosis of anxiety and a mood disorder (laughs) undisclosed which is still very vague um like my neurodivergence still isn't diagnosed so it's also part of that is also like not even really knowing like if I have the right to call myself neurodivergent or disabled even though like I've done so much of this reading I've done so much of this research I've had so many of these like such (laughs) troubling experiences because of what I have to deal with um but it's still sort of like not having access to like diagnoses. It's like, well, am I actually dealing with this or am I just being dramatic? Am I actually dealing with this or whatever? Um, and um, yeah, it's basically like, <laughs> it's kind of a constant challenge to, to just like get up and do the things that I need to do in order to be alive basically. Um, but I'm also really lucky in the fact that, um, like, I do have people who support me. And um, I think that's, like, also part of the question on the document, like, uh, feeling safety, comfort, and support. Um, I feel especially supported by, like, other disabled people. Um, and it makes, like, the reality of being disabled and having to, like, struggle more than like abled and um neurotypical people like a little bit better um and it honestly adds like so much to my life that I wouldn't have had if I weren't like disabled and neurodivergent um so yeah (laughs) that's kind of a rambling on I kind of forgot everything that I just said but um yeah no, that was great. I can also keep talking if, if Sammy <laughs> you're, you're also more than welcome to keep talking. Uh, I was going to ask kind of a, a question because like I know in other spaces we've, we've talked about too, um, this challenge uh, that, that folks face um, their disability or um, their neurodivergence isn't visible or isn't um, something that like, uh, is like tangible for for able body folks or for for like ableist structures um, to like see or like cater to mm-hmm. or like whatever whatever and and I wonder if, if you can speak a little bit to or either of you speak to kind of that how that the challenges right that that brings along especially with the medical industrial complex and folks kind of already ignoring the needs um, of the disabled community but like what extra challenges might you face if if your disability isn't uh, recognized or isn't visible to um, folks. Yeah, having to prove yourself or prove your disability to other folks. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, I guess like what, like being somebody who's in academia in one way, and this is specifically related to like the medical industrial complex, but also like, like the very fact that like receiving accommodations to just be able to like, do what I need to do in order to like have the same like be on a similar level as other people you have to have all these diagnoses you have to have all of this all of that all of whatever and you have to like prove yourself um in that way with like doctor's notes and whatever um and also uh like part of being neurodivergent and disabled like mentally disabled in particular is like people only see that in like one way, right? If you don't look like like um, 
like if you have ADHD, if you're not constantly like bouncing off the wall or something, like, oh my gosh, I'm sorry. <laughs> sorry, my partner was calling me. Um, I'm going to take a second to text them <laughs> and let them know I'm in the interview right now. No, no, of course. Take your time. Take your time. Um. Stop it. <laughs> okay. Our cat, uh, our cat just jumped at the door to try to open it, so... <laughs> Oh, geez. Um, what was I saying? I can't, I can't remember. Wait, is something? You were speaking um, on, you just had finished talking about um, like the need for like the proof of diagnoses and then how that plays um, or kind of how neuro, neurodivergence or navigating neurodivergence and mm-hmm. diagnoses. Yes, yes. Okay. Um, yeah, specifically that, it's also like, um, since there's also so much overlap between so many different ways of being like neurodiverse and mentally ill, um, diagnosis is really hard to begin with. And ultimately it's just like a bunch of random points, uh, assigned on like this huge spectrum of various things that people just decided to give a name to. So the criteria are honestly like bullshit for a lot of them. Um, and that's why so many different things are like comorbid, um, but yeah, it's like unless it's like literally completely like the most severe case somebody could possibly imagine in in like a neurotypical person's eyes, like people are constantly like, "Well, are you are you, are you sure? <laughs> like you don't do this? Are 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 you sure?" Like. Um, you're even experiencing this. Um, and from like psychiat my psychiatrist too is like, um, wouldn't even give me, like, let me pursue ADHD testing. Cause he's like, you don't have ADHD. I think it's just because you're, because of your bipolar that you're experiencing this. And I'm like, I'm, I'm pretty sure, <laughs> um, <laughs> pretty sure I have this, uh, weird distractible brain no matter what, um, but thanks doc. Um, and yeah, just kind of being like constantly gaslit (laughs) and like told you're making shit up or that like, and even telling yourself like gaslighting yourself. I mean, like I'm, you know, I'm not this, I'm just, uh, it's like internalizing all those things that people say on the internet, like you're not depressed. You just want attention. And it's like, do I just want attention? I do tweet about mental illness a lot. Um, but <laughs> it's, it's a, obviously like a very complicated thing. Um, mm-hmm. and uh, yeah, just, uh, I don't know. It's also just like, so, so ableist in the first place to like need a diagnosis in order to oh, yeah. even, like be deemed worthy of like extra help even though you're asking for it <laughs> um like literally mm-hmm. like having to because like for me personally like it wasn't even that like I had the option of being like called disabled or chronically ill like they refused to put that on my reports like it it was like no no no, no. like your bones are just a weird way like well yeah that's kind of that means I'm a little fucked up <laughs> like <laughs> it's not I'm not the typical body so like why can't we address it but it was always like well we could work to make it different or like there's always like this surgery that you could do or like like this med that you can take and it's just like okay but I do all the things and I'm still the way I am so can we just call it what it is like if I'm walk like a duck and crack like a duck can you call me a duck because <laughs> it would be nice it would be easier and like once you do give yourself the language you then have to get everyone around you to also <laughs> want to call you the language and then actualize the language with your physicians and psychiatrists and therapists and it's just like so much gaslighting and so much negative reinforcement for you because you you're having to tell these people these things over and over again. And then you're like, damn it, am I making this up? And you're like, no, I do feel this all the time. But then you're like, but I've said it so many times that like, I feel these are gaslighting yourself. Mm-hmm. And it's just. It's like when you write the same word over and over and then you ask yourself, is that spelled correct? Oh my God. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> yeah. Like all of a sudden I can't spell the. 
<laughs> is that a real word? And it's like that, but like every day of your life. <laughs> I think one thing too, I don't think that gets talked about enough, um, especially in regards to disability justice. Like I know we, when we've been like reading and talking about it as a, as a group, um, like we've seen it in, in how like folks in the disabled community have always been in the trenches have always been in the trenches, a part of every struggle, really, if you look back throughout um, history and in the deepest trenches of those struggles. Um, and, and it makes me think about how, like, we don't talk about um, the intersect or disability and the ways in which, like, our trauma and our generational trauma and the environments and the the spaces that we're forced to, to exist within that are that are like extremely violent um, also either cause or um, um, it, uh, in, enhance is not the right word. Exasperate. Exasperate, like cause or exasperate, right? Um, uh, disability and or um, other um, like issues in our lives. So I'm wondering um, if either of y'all would, could, could kind of elaborate that on that in the way that like when when we when you look at um, folks in underdeveloped underdeveloped communities, when you look at uh, folks in the um, who who exist and are intersected by different identities, like they are often like the most vulnerable and experience disability um, or ableism um, more violently. Um, I don't know if I'm asking that question right. No, I feel like um, like I, when I think of that, I think of like how the most likely person to have an eating disorder is like a 10 year old black or Latinx little girl. Like that is ableism. Like the, the fact that like these like poor communities who don't have access to like fresh foods and like are more than likely to be overweight, which is like a whole other awful part of the medical industrial complex. Um, like they're the most vulnerable to this and it starts so young. Yeah, or like uh, asthma and like ghettoized communities, yeah. right? From like environmental racism. Like literally living in communities where like your the air quality is so much lower, and then wondering why like generations upon generations have severe, more and more severe asthma. Like it's 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 more than it's it's so many intersections of issues that it becomes like overwhelming because then you're like it's capitalism, it's also like ecofascism, it's also um, uh, the medical industrial complex because like those people are the ones that go to the doctors the most often play the highest copays um, and then like within my own life like the living in um, in like constant fear as a child had obviously like set my brain to <laughs> be more likely to have severe anxiety and uh, obsessive compulsive disorder and then exasperated that like growing up in a abusive household. So like, I didn't have a chance <laughs> to not be the way that like my neurodivergent brain is now. Um, and like, it, it's, it's taken so long to even like try to figure out how to like navigate it, which is like still a daily struggle. Like I don't, I don't control my brain the way like other people do. And like knowing that is like, it was always really hard. It, um, it got easier, like having steps and seeing like therapists, which is also just like a huge privilege. Like I'm lucky that I have an insurance that, and I only have to pay like a lower copay. Whereas like people have to pay hundred dollars out of pockets to see a therapist once a month. Like um, all of these like privileges also like weigh heavy on the fact that like, I know that there are other people just like me <laughs> experiencing a hundred times worse because they don't have the access as I do. And I still have shitty access. Like that's not even saying that I, I like, I have like great insurance or great health coverage, but like all of these things like factor into everything that I do. Um, and it's a lot. Um, you know, Sam, as you were speaking to it, it, struck me about something I think we've talked about too, which is like the medical industrial complex desire to like blame all these disabilities then on something like um, being overweight, um, like pushing it all onto these things 
um, that are themselves very violent. Um, and so the remedy, uh, the, like the remedy itself is, is just as violent as, as what, like the, the material conditions of existence. Yeah, or you get you get denied care for um, for things that you or for for needs that you have because it's written off as as something else or or yeah. yeah. I like the fact that fat phobia can like literally kill. Like they don't have to do certain things for you because you're overweight. Like that is that is a whole other type of like issue that we don't even talk about. Like, oh, you're not sick, you're overweight. So that's your fault. You can go home. Yeah. For everything. You know, I remember when I was going through my hip replacement um, and like I, I lost mobility very quickly and my body swelled up uh, as my bone died inside of me. And like going in and the first thing having doctors tell me about like, well, it's about your weight. Like that's why you're feeling this pain. That's why you're feeling this pain. It turns out it takes, you know, a year of going to the doctors and working through this and uh, just finally to get that addressed. But like, uh, you know, when we've been talking about that, that really has been clicking with me, like that this pushing away of like the actual problems and hiding it behind this thing, uh, this very violent solution to everything. It also like, not only in like, just in, in I guess, to, in, Add another intersection to it. I know some friends who, for example, are like trans mask and wanted to get top surgery, but were told they had to lose weight first, mm-hmm. like that they couldn't have the surgery until they had lost a ton of weight. Um, which like, if you're already suffering from major dysphoria because of the way your body looks and you're already, and you're told that your body is not good enough for you to even be able to alleviate your dysphoria, like that's, mm-hmm. you know, that's, that's horrific for a person as well. Yeah, no, there, I mean, there's just so many intersections to it. And and I think one thing we talk about too uh, always is that it's, it's it's going to be Black and Indigenous, trans, queer, and gender non-conforming folks who experience it the most violently. Uh, so I know perspective on it. Um, not, yeah, and I just, the, the question came up, um, yeah, in my head just because um, I was just, I had, I was reading something about how um, like we just don't talk enough about how trauma um, and and generational trauma can also lead to to physical um, and exacerbating uh, current chronic illnesses and stuff like that. Um, but yeah, um, if we if we want to move on a little bit, um, I'd love to kind of um, hear y'all talk about what either like what does disability justice mean to you or why or how you've kind of incorporated disability justice into um, the organizing work that I know both of y'all um, do uh, in your lives, either online or advocating in your community and or uh, on the ground. Um, sorry. And if it's easier to start with that question, just like what, what does disability justice mean to you? Um, uh, in that framework. So like, I feel like we talk about it so often or like we've, we've talked about it often enough that like it's, it's hard to like verbalize cohesively for me now, but like, I guess like in just like quickly a disability justice to me means like in every space, nobody feels unheard um, or like unseen or unthought of. And like that, that's like really broad, right? But it also is like encompassing so many things that like we don't, um, that you like have to then think about all the time, which is like, what is, um, how is like what I'm saying and what I'm doing affecting everybody around me? Um, As well as like, how are we all working cohesively in order to, move in a way where everyone feels safe and secure. Um, and, and like these things are disability justice to me. And like, it's the most hands-on part of disability justice that we like participate in um, because it's really 
being acutely aware of like everyone around you. And it's, 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 um, it's like really easily, I feel like it's easily seen and reinforced. Um, like I see it a lot in the group chats and then like how other people respond and like branch out and become like their individual within like talking to them or like the questions that they ask, like become more specific and like, um, like oriented. And like, I don't know, that's, that's how I view disability justice in our spaces. Like just everybody just fully being um, within themselves and around everybody else still hard. Cause like, I have a really hard time personally with like groups um, and like social anxiety. So like seeing everybody be able to do that is like a win. I agree wholeheartedly with everything just said and (laughs) don't really have anything more to add because that was very, very beautifully put. Um, Yeah, just just really like a place where everyone can be heard and seen and supported. Absolutely. I agree. had a question I lost it and I was gone <laughs> and it was there uh, it was something about what you had just said um, it's gone well maybe eventually um, I guess a, a I mean, that was perfectly said, so there's nothing to elaborate on there. Uh, But um, without that, then, like, without that framework, without being able to center um, of the needs of everybody um, and make sure that uh, everyone in the space is, is... Oh, I remember my question. I remember my question. See, (laughs) look at that. Um, It it might not even be a question, but you just made me think about how, um, because you're talking about, right, how disability justice frameworks and disability justice in general that you believe right happens in a communal environment but also um empowers the individual and like the individual and and like empowers the individual to to see themselves and have an identity within a, in a collective space um and it just made me think about how how ableism and and not addressing folks's uh different abilities is intentionally isolating. Like it, 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 it intentionally isolates folks, folks from spaces and, and, and folks are then isolated a lot of times on their own because the only way they can survive comfortably is in their own apartment with the things they have accessible to them. I mean, like going out in public or going to do things like is impossible. And so you're, you're because of ableism, you're now isolated and not able um, to go and find those connections to build that community. Um, so I'm wondering if if either of you want to talk about um, just the importance of those spaces in your life where that are accessible to you. You can go, Art. Um, just because I answered the last one and really long. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, my, my 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 brain's also being especially weird tonight. I know, like, um, you know, even like, I guess it's really difficult, and this actually like relates to the uh, question, kind of like, sometimes even in spaces where I know I feel safe, there's still like an underlying like feeling of anxiety there for me. Like, I feel comfortable with y'all. I feel safe speaking with y'all. I know that y'all will like accept what I say and can, you know, work to understand me as a person. I'm still sweating like a dog because I'm so anxious being here and being in <laughs> like, <laughs> like literally dri- not drip. Like that's, that's TMI. Sorry. But <laughs> um, I think I got some sweat on my face too. It's also been really warm here lately, which is nice. Uh, a hot, solid 38 degrees outside, which is a heat wave. Brisk, a brisk 38. <laughs> oh. A warm 38. The sun was out, though, huh? Can you feel your toes? Yeah. No, I actually, like, 
I was wearing like shorts and a tank top today with my windows wide open. Like <laughs> that's how it's <laughs> 38 degrees right now. Uh, what's going on? Anyway, back, back, back on topic. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah. What was the question against like the importance of, of, of spaces where, or like, like yeah, like that are accessible to you or that you feel safety, yeah. for, like having, you know, having community. Because I know a mm-hmm. lot of us don't really have access to that or haven't had yeah. that in our lives. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I am very lucky in the sense that, you know, especially having been able to be in in academia and meet a lot of other amazing disabled people there who are very committed to, like, the liberation of disabled people. Um, it's like it's helped me feel like a fuller person um, because like I have other people around me who like, you know, add pieces of themselves to me and who, you know, it's like, it's like, (laughs) I don't know how to explain it, but it just, it just, and not saying that I wasn't a whole person before, but like, I can, I can really like see myself as a whole person and like the way I fit into different spaces better and like when I'm in like I guess less accessible spaces spaces that are way less comfortable that are way more difficult to deal with it's it's it helps it's that it makes that a little bit easier to manage because I know that there are spaces I have where I can be who I am um and where I can have my needs met um, and I, I really honestly can't even like qualify the, the importance of that for me because it's, it's, I mean, it's also constantly shifting and like, I'm constantly realizing new things that are, you know, affecting me and, and like how the people in my life, like supplement me as a person, um, if any of that makes sense, <laughs> but, um, yeah. yeah, it just, it just, and, you know, obviously under like the current disgusting, like capitalist systems are under, there's no really like 100% accessible space for anyone, honestly, mm-hmm. but like the places that are most accessible for, for like my needs and the needs of those people around me are just so like beautiful and very rare honestly um yeah yeah finding finding space that I didn't feel um awful in was rough um I guess the first space for me ever that was like accessible slash like I saw other people with disabilities was like Twitter um and like that was and like following like random like people who are disabled or chronically ill um, and like Instagram also. But like, it wasn't until like 2020 where there's like actual space, like, uh, like in commerce classroom, like things like that, where like uh, my disability was actually like taken serious and like not even taken serious, but like taken serious by me. Um, <laughs> that internalized ableism is the, the the hardest right (laughs) it's like it's it's every day (laughs) in your brain always Mm -hmm. um but like that I guess uh that's the like that's one of the hardest that's one of the most alienating feelings is like thinking about the fact that like you're the only one really being ableist towards yourself because like nobody really knows that you're um like struggling like because you're right or like physically inside your body and it's not like showing to the world and then you're being ableist to yourself and you're like gaslighting yourself and there's no one around to tell you that like hey you should stop that because your brain is like no 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 that's right like you're wrong um and being able to share that online and other people being like I do that too is was the most connecting thing that trauma bonding (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> easiest forms of friendship <laughs> but yeah 
that that was always important for me or still is it's the void oh yeah I, I definitely agree with that um online spaces have always been really important for me to even before I even had really a concept of like disability as it applies yeah. to self right um yeah I remember it's so strange also like when I was like 15 years old I was like connecting to these random emos online through like some <laughs> music whatever, and we all turned out to be like neurodivergent and disabled and then like growing with one another it's really interesting to <laughs> see how that's evolved for me um so yeah I, I definitely relate to that as well yeah my favorite is still following accounts that like I used to talk to but like randomly about weird stuff on Twitter. And now I see them like post stuff or like have big account followings. I'm just like, that's crazy. We thought about like crying together on the phone wild. Cause like I've been on Twitter since I was like 12. (laughs) Shit. Oh Lord. Very desperate for any type of community, obviously. (laughs) I was on Tumblr when I was 12 too. And it was was, (laughs) Don't expose everyone like that. <laughs> I honestly I don't know any single person in in my life at least. and that's honestly like that's a whole different conversation of like technology and like making things so much like making I guess that feeling of wholeness that feeling of being seen for disabled people so much more accessible because like if I didn't have technology I like not even exaggerating I, I probably wouldn't be alive right now I, I probably wouldn't be alive right now if I hadn't had access to technology that gave me access to people who like understood me because I felt so like isolated that like I and this is kind of getting a little bit too, uh, dark but um yeah like I I was I didn't really have anybody um in terms of like friends in my life so like technology like literally saved my life it literally saved my life um and continues to as well. Um, so I can't underestimate the importance of that, really. No, genuinely, it's like, it's a, it's different when like you, you really, you really don't think you have anyone like in real life and like the, the presence of like anyone is just like life-changing at that time. And like, for me, that was, you'd scream onto Twitter about how like you don't want to live or like you want to do X, Y, and Z and like people cared. And like, that sounds crazy because like Twitter is such a toxic place now, but like it was, it was one of like, it was also one of the places where like I felt most whole. Cause like, and you know, like I personally, like my family, you weren't allowed to struggle. Like we were struggling too much. There was like other things to worry about. Please don't like add so you just didn't um and be having having the internet was the the that kept me from doing a lot worse to myself than I did no, I, I really appreciate y'all actually for for bringing that that perspective up um grateful for it and I think a lot of people will, will feel seen by it too because um especially I think younger generations but I mean, our generation too, from our, from like the older, from our parents and our older generations, like um, we're always told how just, just social media is bad. Um, and I think a lot of kids right now and thinking about my students, like go through a lot. Um, and I mean, what y'all are saying, because they're, they're intentionally disconnected from people um, from the internet Um and they like starve to find that and they don't feel validating in, in finding that via social media. Um, and so I think people will, will appreciate that perspective because the reality is it is hella important. Um, and research shows that like we form the same bonds and emotional connections on the, on uh, internet relationships as we did in real life, like research shows that. So I just really appreciate that y'all um, added that. Um, I mean, I guess kind of as a last question, um, and this has been amazing, um, but if y'all want to speak to it at all, and I think it it like, it goes without saying, and y'all have already um, proven why it's so necessary, uh, but like what what do liberation movements miss? Um, What does our work miss? What does our everyday work towards liberation miss if we don't center 
um, our most vulnerable siblings? Like where, where, where will we continue to go wrong if we don't choose to listen to the, the, the voices uh, within the disability community, the voices within um, the trans and queer and gender nonconforming community, right? The black indigenous, like wh where, what do we miss when we don't actually um, center um, disability work in our, in our liberation movements? And if it goes without saying, we can we can go without saying and end it here. <laughs> <laughs> I feel like it's it's definitely been said like a million times that like the the silencing of disabled folks is like always led to like just the the tumbling of of like any type of movement because like you're not factoring in what is inevitable, which is accessibility, like inevitably everyone needs to act your body gives away like it, it's it's not an it's not a it's not an option of when when to organize around it or like when to uh, uh put it into like your framework it's a more of a reality of like looking at ourselves as like the disposable that we are like we we end and like that you're always just going to need to take it into consideration. I don't know. Like, uh, yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And, and I also think like when you don't like center disability and not even just in like organizing spaces, but also like in your own personal life, like checking like your own, like, ableism toward other people, toward yourself as well. Um, it's like you're also like, I guess you're sort of like losing an acknowledgement of your own like humanity and the humanity of the people around you in a way. Um, because like, if, if you're not really acknowledging your own and other people's access needs, um, regardless of, you know, or like because of, and not because of disability, um, it's, it's, it just like limits everything you're capable of doing. Um, and like, I know even earlier, <laughs> I think not, not to call you out, but like before we had this meeting, when, when you were saying like, sorry for like being the worst and you were like, had to be a little bit late for the, for the meeting. And I was like, you're talking about that when we're having a discussion on disability justice, like, you know, like it, it, it's, it's not to put you on blast or anything, but like, no, 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 no for sure, 100%. you know, it's just like, it's, it's also like the losing your, the own like space you can provide for yourself to like be a person and um, not adhere to these ableist standards of existence. Um, yeah, I, I I love that. I think it's so important because y'all both got to the got to that right, and I'm glad you you called me out too because I think um, it, you if you don't have these frameworks in your uh, vocabulary, in your politics, in your principles, it's not sustainable, right? You're even if you claim to be anti-capitalist, even if you claim to want the destruction of, if you still exist within that in terms of your your output and your work and your your like obsession with production even though you claim to be anti-capitalist right that's that's not sustainable and i think we we recreate that environment so much in ourselves um in our uh movement spaces in our communities and our you know we're forced to because we are working class people yada 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 um and students with deadlines all this stuff right and i just think a lot of people don't hear that or recognize that. Like, even if we want, we want to talk about, um, about achieving these goals, but like none of them are sustainable uh, and we will burn out individually or as a collective um, if we don't listen and, and actually implement um, frameworks of disability. You know, so I appreciate that, the call out, because right, it's not just about understanding them and using the language, but it's also about 
um, the trial and error of implementing it and then being able to address when you, when you weren't able to implement it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I'm yeah. always one to like bully people who are being mean to themselves. <laughs> like, <laughs> I think that works. I think bullying works in that way. <laughs> I think that's oh, yeah. really, really important actually. <laughs> I would like to be bullied more often. <laughs> yeah. Do you always save your apologies for when you actually cause hurt? Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, well, that's all I got um, in terms of questions. If y'all have any last things or, G, if you got any questions or last things. You cut, well, you cut out there for me for a second. What did you say, did you? I don't have anything else uh, to ask or, or to, to bring in. So if anyone has any last thoughts or, or questions, um, definitely leave space for that. But if not, I for real appreciate y'all. I appreciate this this conversation. Yeah, this I, is I, yeah. Th- thank y'all for inviting me into this space, and I guess <laughs> tr- trusting you to speak in this podcast because <laughs> um, I know I tend to ramble and speak too quickly, so I'm not exactly the greatest for a podcasting voice, but <laughs> um, yeah, I just really appreciate um, this space, and thank you all of y'all for for sharing um your experiences and yeah always much love from me yeah, i put the blisses on my feet for you walk across the moor and love will be the sea for you Yeah.